So, welcome back to my third podcast. It's been two weeks since the last one went live, which was the Ivory Effect. Hopefully, either that's brought you here, or if you haven't listened to it yet, uh, do go back and listen to it. It's not jam-packed information, but I was really passionate about that, and I just really wanted to do a quick podcast about it, because uh, I think it's an issue that's coming to the forefront of a lot of ecology. And uh, as I said, that's what a lot of stuff I'm going to be covering. Today's episode is, as you may not have guessed from the title, about a parasite called Toxoplasma gondii. It's a single-celled parasite and is incredibly successful. It's been around for just as long as we have, really. It is a microbe that is a single-cell pathogen and it can infect most types of mammals and birds, particularly warm-blooded animal species, including humans. However, we make up its intermediate host species. Uh, it's predicted around a third of the human population on the Earth is actually infected with Toxoplasma gondii. Uh, but it doesn't reach sexual maturity in us, so its definitive host is felines. Um, so domestic house cats, uh, big cats, things like that, uh, where it will reach its sexual maturity and then hence it will reproduce and then be passed on. So... It can be picked up in felines when they consume infected warm-blooded animals. So, obviously, a domestic house cat isn't going to consume us, hopefully. So, mice and rodents, particularly infected with this parasite, will then be consumed. And then once it's consumed, it will reproduce within this host cat, producing these oocysts, which are its reproductive phase, which are then passed out in the feline's feces. This can be picked up by all these different warm-blooded animals, so we can pick it up through eating contaminated foods, uh, not washing our hands, particularly children vulnerable for uh, playing around in mud and soil where you might have feline feces that hasn't been cleaned up because obviously you might not know it's there. So things like that and these rodents and mice eating around areas where the feline feces is. And then... Once it's passed out, obviously it'll be picked up by these intermediate hosts and then consumed again by the felines. The cycle goes on. So in the intermediate hosts, the immune response usually deals with it, but it causes the parasite to then go into this latent cyst phase and it infects different tissues around the body, but it's commonly found in brain tissues where it will lie dormant as these cysts. Now generally, it doesn't have much threat to humans unless they are... immunocompromised like the elderly people who suffer from AIDS HIV that have weak immune systems and the vulnerable part of the population so potentially they are at risk from this uh, parasite and pregnant women who have not previously been infected by the parasite are also vulnerable because they can then become infected and pass it on to the baby this can cause congenital defects and cause different uh, symptoms and in the fetus that's undeveloped within the womb so it's not good for that particular population so in particular these women who may live with cats it's important to check that if the cat isn't seronegative meaning that it's not been affected with the toxoplasma before it's important that they are kept an eye on and it's checked that the, the pregnant woman's also never had the disease before as well because if she has she's probably not risking the, cha- the fetus inside her because the cysts will be dormant and the immune system's got the antigens to deal with another infection. So it's those that haven't been infected before 
but you're probably not here for the wanted to hear about the human effects of this uh, parasite because the title clearly says suicide rodents. So suicide rodents doesn't make them commit suicide as such. It's a behavioural change that the toxoplasma has on the rodents such as mice and rats and it has the capability of manipulating the rodents that will cause them to lose their innate fear of cats. We all know mice, rodents, well in general things are scared of their predators so for a mice or a rat to lose its fear of a cat is a pretty strange behavioural change so it was established around the 80s and 90s in uh, reports and experiments that it can be observed that these rats in laboratories can show decreased neophobic fear which is the fear of unfamiliar stimulants so if they've not obviously if they're going near a cat they're getting eaten they're not going to learn that it's <laughs> they're not going to learn that it's a predator they'll learn by the threat of cats so the threats of cats urine and feces so it was this decreased fear in rodents that associate these stimulants particularly the olfactory stimulants with the predators which are the felines now this process of their loss of innate fear has been coined as the fatal attraction uh, quite ironically because the attraction of the rodents to the felines causes their death but this is all down to an evolutionary process that is really clever on behalf of the toxoplasma, toxoplasma gondii because it makes for this process that's been developed over the thousands of years of existence and it's specifically targeting the prey of its definitive hosts because how many of us are going to get eaten by cats so essentially it's hardwired itself to ensure that it's survival so it's developed this technique where it's affecting the prey whereby it will then return to the host so that it can complete its life cycle so this is the way of life for the toxoplasma gondii and all these experiments on laboratory-raised rats where they've tried to determine all the the behavioural changes that it's caused and it's hard to determine the actual predation risk and its effect on the behaviour around an actual predator because you can't just chuck a rat into a cage with a cat uh, to see if it runs away or not. It's not really ethical. So there's this whole field of exploration available for the effects on the actual toxic the effects on the actual brain tissue of the prey it's been found that even after the loss of the infection of the toxoplasma in mice that it's this behavioral shift remains after the infection is gone which could suggest that it's down to a hardwired alteration on the actual physical structure of the brain so it's changed something in the brain permanently and it's not going to return once the infection goes away so it's this sort of field where it's important to understand how this toxoplasma developed this evolutionary tree. It enables us to refer it to other paras- parasitic uh, adaptations and evolutionary processes. And similarly, because we as a species can also become infected with the to- toxoplasma, um, can it cause any similar behavioural changes to human species can it alter our brain the same way it could alter a mice mice or a rodent's brain and there have been various reports and studies because people have been aware of the infection since the very early 20th century so throughout the whole of that century there's been 
various studies and research into the effects that this parasite could have on humans. And there's been all sorts of publications, such as the effects that it could have on people becoming more aggressive, increased suicidal tendencies, and increasingly the link between people who are infected with toxoplasma and the likelihood of them um, developing schizophrenia. And schizophrenia is uh, thought to involve the activity of dopamine, which is a neurotransmitter in the brain, which is associated with happiness and elated feelings. And uh, there's all this research as to whether there's actual just a correlation between people who've got schizophrenia and the fact that they're seropositive for toxoplasma or is it that they're altering areas of the brain that creates these behavioral changes because if it's permanent following the infection uh, much like schizophrenia is permanent throughout your life this there could be this link and so being able to understand it in rodent species allows us to then develop it into clinical trials and then investigating it into higher organisms like humans so as of yet it's currently a high chance that it's just correlation uh, even joanne webster who is an epidemiologist and parasite expert co-discovered the fear negating effects that the toxoplasma gondii has that in rats um has said that there's a possible worrying implication that it has the these behavioral changes that cause schizophrenia However, the, the mice aren't the best models because they can experience more severe symptoms. Obviously, they're more affected than we are in terms of they, their survival depends on this alteration in the brain and the toxoplasma like co, co-evolves with these particular species. So it's not necessarily reliant on us. And she's not convinced of the link, the link between the toxoplasma infection and the schizophrenia. But... As with science, it's an open field. It's it's there for people to explore. It's there for people to try and discover this. It's it's harder to, you know, disprove something than to prove something. So if there's a suggestion, people have got to try and then disprove that this correlation actually exists and that it's causal, because it's currently, if toxoplasma infects around thirty three percent of the human population in the world, why is it that we're not seeing this? increase in 33 the, well the third of the population behavioral changes schizophrenia's rates are around one percent globally so how likely is it that they're related i mean there's a potential but it's up for discussion really isn't it and funnily enough this isn't the only parasite that can it's been proven to cause these changes in the brain and the behavior of its particular intermediate host the, just to touch on it, there's a zombie ant fungus that will, when infected, this ant will to increase erratic behaviour. It could even convulse and go into fits, and it will walk around aimlessly. Whereas ants are well known for its well known for their working frame of mind. Their they work as a unit. They're, they're a colony, and at a particular time, at high noon on every like. Almost as though it's program programmed like a computer. This ant will just climb up and bite into this the vein of a leaf, and it will hang there and die. And within a few days, this fungal stalk will grow out of the head of the ant, and then fall onto the ground below just to be picked up by another ant. And this is just another parasite that just lives its life because it's adapted to infect an ant, use the ant, 
the ant will then die and then be passed on again. It's this cycle. So it's parasites like that that are just so interesting and it's their effects of what they and how they can, you know, control its hosts that are so interesting to scientists that the studies are just going to keep increasing. And so hopefully this has just made you a bit more aware of things like that that hopefully you never knew existed. And stay away from cat poo, really. <laughs> no, but in, in all seriousness, this is just like a bite of information I wanted to give you about these eco- ecological matters that are going on around the world, these parasites that I find incredibly interesting, and it's their their cycle of life. It's so simplistic, but yet so complex. And it might encourage you to go and do some reading about it, and I hope you find it just as interesting as I do. And do be aware of these sort of parasites, because we we're discovering new species like so often there's so many we don't know about particularly the small parasites that are harder to find even like even without the naked eye even with all the technology we've got now but we are finding them and it's these lifestyles that we're coming across and how they work and how they essentially manipulate their hosts so that they can keep living it's just fascinating and hopefully the reason you're listening to me is because you too find it fascinating so stay tuned and I'll have a new episode up for you, despite it being Christmas, hopefully, rather soon. And please, I encourage feedback. Uh, follow me on Twitter. It's a Colocast, the same as the podcast, if you've not come from there. I'm up on SoundCloud, and I'm hopefully trying to get a few more platforms up and going. There's a link to my website that I've got up and running now on my Twitter, so go and check that out. And there's feedback forms on there. Just drop me an email, just if you're listening and if you're liking it. So thanks very much and keep your eyes peeled for the next episode.